Hello and welcome to the Tech in the Hood podcast. I'm your host, Ahmed Flex Omar. Tech in the Hood is a storytelling podcast that explores the past, present, and future of Chicago's cultural identity through conversations about community and technology. Each week, I reconnect with the friends and mentors who have shared this journey and spotlight new voices and innovators building the future of the tech in the hood. Welcome back to Tech in the Hood, the show that brings you all things art, business, culture, and of course, technology. Today with me is my friend Lauren Mogul and Lauren is a lead bioinformatician. I knew I was going to mess up but that's okay. It's a podcast we keep rolling at University of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah so let's 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 start there. Bioinformatician. Yes. Okay. It's a big word. Big word. It's, so it's a lot. People <laughs> I mean I'm sure you get this a lot, do yes, people all the time. I usually just say scientist. <laughs> scientist. To make it simpler. But okay. yeah, bioinformatics is basically the marriage of biology and genomics or any sort of um, omics, right? Or mm-hmm. and computer science. So like the tools that you need to analyze and process all of these big data sets. So now, did you always know you're going to work in the not at all being a scientist? Nope. Um, That was not the intention. Um, I started college like all of us other Mm pre-med people in biology. And um, I met my mentor at the Sunday meetup brunch um, at Loyola which we oh. have in common. My alma mater. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Loyola. Yeah. Um, or is in Chicago, as we say, Loyola. Loyola. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we, we met and um, he introduced bioinformatics to me, which I had no idea about. It was also a very new field at the time. And the rest is history. I took the MCAT and decided right afterwards that I wanted to pursue research Mm. and I didn't go to med school and I went to grad school Um, Mm. so surprised everyone surprised everyone (laughs) and by surprised everyone was it your parents or just it was my parents I think my professors were just waiting for me to realize Uh because I was doing research from my freshman year until um up through my senior year and loved it so yeah um very very cool you know so there's you had to take biology classes and then computer the science computer classes. Science. Yes. You know, um, at that time, how was the computer science department at Loyola? It was pretty good, but yeah. it was definitely more geared for computer scientists. So mm-hmm. you had, we, I was taking computer science courses with computer science majors. So, and mm-hmm. I was also learning like very basic computer science. So using C++, Java, Perl. So, all of the new um, programming languages were not even taught um, in the curriculum back then because I'm dating myself. It's all right. It's <laughs> all right. Because the field was new. It wasn't even really accepted um, in the science field in the early, mid-2000s. It was around, like, the, the sequencing boom. So, like, when genome sequencing, all of those... Um, like um, 
technologies, the sequencing technologies, um, when they became cheaper, more accessible, and when people were really like, oh, this is really the next step mm. in um, understanding biology and understanding disease and all of that, that's when bioinformatics became a lot more accepted and a lot more um, exciting as a field. So yeah, it was, it's been very cool to see the transition over the last 15 years. Wow. That <laughs> so, is real. That is really cool. Yeah. So, um, and then, so you did your bachelor's at, uh, at Loyola, Loyola. Mm -hmm. and then what did you do after that? So after that, I went to the Mayo Clinic, okay. um, and I have my... Was this in Minnesota? It was in Rochester, Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I worked in the lab of um, Jim Maher. So we worked on um, understanding DNA flexibility and understanding why it bends and twists the way it does in a cell and why we can't replicate that in a test tube. Um, I mean, he does a lot more work than that, but that was specifically sure, my sure. project. Um, I worked on a lot of things there. I tried to incorporate my bioinformatics background. So we tried to um, develop like a high throughput way to understand DNA flexibility. Um, and what tools and then, were you using in, the, so in the, the lab? I was at the bench. So I was doing okay. experiments. Um, yeah. And the one thing you're told is if it looks like Kool-Aid, don't drink it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I was working with DNA, isolating it from, you know, different organisms, yeah. um, mainly working with bacteria. Mm. So their bacteria is a really good way, um, to study DNA because it's very simple and we've been using bacteria for a long time to understand, um, you know, the process of how things work in a cell. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. What about from a technology uh, standpoint? Um, so we were using uh, things were um, pretty simple mm -hmm. at the bench. So things have gotten a lot better. There are robots that can do what I did uh, <laughs> in grad school. So there's they have robots now. There are robots now. So okay. there's there's a lot of new technologies that have been developed, and a lot a lot of new machines that have been developed to. Mm -hmm do the DNA isolation to sequence hundreds of thousands of things to do like massively parallel um, analysis and, and assays that I was just doing by hand. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, for 2023 and everyone's yeah. talking about AI and you know, people just woke up to AI because of ChatGPT. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how do you feel about AI? Is it replacing people's jobs? Is it? Uh, it depends. Yeah. I think right now, um, because it's so new, mm -hmm. people are nervous about it, right? Because yeah. it can learn. And, you know, every a news article comes out and it's like, oh, it can pass the bar. And mm -hmm. it's like, okay, sure, it can do that. But can it adapt in terms of like a people to people yeah. situation? And that's and no, not yeah. yet. Not Chat yet. Chat GPT is not going to argue in front of a jury. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Chat GPT is not going to like diagnose you in in a you know hospital setting. So um, I think I think there's a lot of potential in terms of using that um, using that technology and making things better, mm -hmm. um, especially in the big data field. So going back to the bioinformatics um, 
and I, after the Mayo Clinic, I went to temp, oh, I'm sorry, I went to Loyola again for my postdoc, um, and I worked on a population genetics um, modeling um, um, tool. Mm-hmm. And again, AI would be really great in that setting. So being able to predict um, variants that are associated with disease um, in the cancer setting. So after my postdoc, I went to Tempest Labs um, and they're a precision oncology company and they work directly with um, physicians, oncologists, and um, what Tempest provides is data to those oncologists based on that specific patient. So the patient's tumor sample is sent in, it's mm-hmm. sequenced, it's gone, it goes through a bioinformatics pipeline, it gets analyzed, and it gets um, um, analyzed for the mutations that are driving that cancer, the clinical trials that based on the mutation profile, the clinical trials that those patients are eligible for, um, new drugs, drug targets that that they're eligible for. Um, so we're moving past the chemo and radiation death sentence that cancer is that cancer was. We're moving into survival and longer survival. Um, and yes, early detection is important, but um, if we can develop more of these targeted drugs and continue extending these people's lives, Mm -hmm. you get to a point where cancer is just another diagnosis that you can treat, um, which is very exciting. So absolutely. And then, um, it's called precision medicine. Yes. You said, yes. And, um, is that a growing field? Oh yeah. That's, that's the goal I think for, um, the, field or even in medicine today, right? Like mm-hmm. you, we want to treat people as individuals. Um, and speaking as not a physician, <laughs> <laughs> the idea is to, as somebody on the data side, doing the data analytics to provide physicians with as much information as possible to personally treat that patient and cater um, a treatment plan to that person um, and not, not just a general group. Right? right. So you see, um, I don't know if it's happening already, but maybe in the future, um, physicians will walk around with an iPad that has all that yes. you know, informa- information. It's, it's starting to happen now, especially mm-hmm. with cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully with other diseases in the future. But I mean, people who, who are diagnosed with some, um, pretty, horrible cancer diagnoses um, mm-hmm. are surviving much longer That's now. Incredible. And um, I mean, I've seen it firsthand with family friends um, who, who are fortunate enough to have this technology mm-hmm. at this time. So yeah, Absol- pretty great. Yeah. And it's so, only going to get better. Yeah, so. no, that is, uh, that is heartwarming and it's uh, good, uh, good to hear. Mm. With um, the startup, was that mm-hmm. your first startup? It was my first startup. It was my yeah. first job out of school school, right? Okay. So the postdoc is like post-doctoral learning still. Yeah. Um, and that's where I kind of got back into the bioinformatics. So I went from the wet 
bench to the dry bench. <laughs> um, and that that's and then the the startup was where I um, I got really into mm-hmm. um, tool building and and the bioinformatics um, and really trying to understand um, cancer um, and what we can do. And I think I think the model is good. Um, and understanding cancer at the genomic level yeah. is important. So for sure. And was that almost like early days for health tech? A little bit, yeah. So it was. There were only at the time when that startup was um, founded, there were only like one or two other precision medicine cancer companies out there, and now there are many, many, <laughs> <laughs> many. Um, but it was the one in Chicago. Is the one in? Yeah. It was just the one in. It was Chicago. the one in wow. Chicago, and yeah. they partner. They they're still around. Um, they partner with pharma companies um, to get research samples and hospitals and physicians and some of my friends who are oncologists actually work with them. So. Oh, very cool. Yeah, the world is small. The science world is small. <laughs> so. And then so. Was that um, a VC funded type of company? And yeah, yeah. Um, initially, like initially. you know, there was you know angel funding, seed funding, and um, I think they are still considered a startup, even though they've been around for eight yeah. or nine years. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, because the field is right still yeah new. They're still private, and still private. Yeah, they're yeah. they're doing good work. So yeah. awesome, awesome, and then. Um, any uh, startup uh, stories you want to share with us? <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of startup stories. Um, yeah, there are a lot of late nights and a lot yeah. of crazy, fun things that happen um, in the startup world. The wet bench life. Um, you you get some crazier stories because you're working with chemicals. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you can get chloroform by accident. Mm. Um, there was one time I was using a UV box. So to visualize where DNA is, you use UV light, um, and a stain. And, um, I ended up getting like a sunburn all over my face because I, I put my face around, um, on like in front of the UV box and, um, I was there for a longer time than expected. So I woke up in the morning and I was like, oh no like an actual sunburn. <laughs> um, so yeah, crazy things happen in the lab. Crazy things happen um, in the dry lab. Sometimes you can get hacked and it's it's dangerous. So never hacked. publish your creds to GitHub is... <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. That's interesting, right? Because... Uh, so there's a lot of security measures in place and like places like Tempest and places like my current um, right, right, right. Because uh, developers mm-hmm. tend to publish, you know, their code on GitHub because yep. that's their online, you know, resume. Yep. If you want to find out what projects they've worked on, you just go to their GitHub yep. and check it out. And a lot of them put out stuff out there, you know, for uh, open source, you yep. know, so they can uh, collaborate, you know, with with others. And it's grown, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so much i mean i have a little bit of a programming background you know so um yeah but that's that's interesting i never really thought uh thought about the uh, cybersecurity around yeah you know there's a lot of that uh, get a get a hub you learn as you go yeah yeah i i leave that for like my uh chief information officer exactly so (laughs) 
Um, and he's he's the one that's in charge of like putting all that stuff on Google Cloud and yeah. Kubernetes and making yep. sure that everything is, uh, you know, secured. Mm -hmm. I just need to have like a baseline now and, and knowledge. I mean, you know, in case something happens, then I can jump in. Exactly. You know? So, but, um, but it's, yeah, that's, that's really, it's really interesting. And then um, you went to U Chicago? I did. So um, I have been at U Chicago for almost four years. Um, I started in January 2020, which was, um, Oof. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I know. It's a big year. Um, definitely a big year. So at U Chicago, I work for this place called the Center for Translational Data Science, and we host at least 20 different data commons. So these like very large data sets. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we have about 1.7 petabytes of data, um, which is a lot. One, 1.7 petabytes. So that's petabytes. Yeah. So, so we're people past, don't, people don't, don't even people yeah. don't hear that. Right. A petabyte is how many bytes? Oh, or how many uh, gigabytes? Or how many? Oh man, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I have to do that conversion yeah. in my head. But yeah, it's all stored in the cloud. It's though. all stored in the cloud. Thank and God, because yes. that would be a big. Uh, you can't server closet <laughs> closet room. Yeah. yeah, no, we we store it in the and and it, we have a a lot of different data commons. So yeah. we have. Um, uh, like an IBS, we have some COVID, we have um, um, the entity that I work for, with, which is the GDC, which is the Genomic Data Commons. It's the um, National Cancer Institute's initiative to um, provide a unified source of cancer data to mm -hmm. everyone to kind of pursue that precision medicine route. So what we were talking about before, where you have the cancer um, precision medicine companies, we're kind of at the front end of that where we provide research materials for um, um, users. So you can, um, anybody, it's an open source um, commons, which I think to me is really important because if you can provide everyone who wants access, whether you're a researcher or even just curious, but mostly if you're in the research field, you have all of this information at your fingertips and you can pursue whatever you want to pursue in the science field, right? Like, so if you're looking at, you know, GI cancer in people over 40, mm -hmm. you can pull down a data set of sequences that were sequenced all over the country, um, even in not even all over the country and in the world maybe um, and we process it all in the same way so you can just pool all that data together and it's yours right like you can do the analysis you can ask somebody else to do the analysis but um, you have all of that at your fingertips and then and then from there you can develop that drug mm -hmm. you can look for a biomarker you can look for new mutations that we hadn't seen before um, in that specific cancer. Um, and so there's a lot, there's a lot you can do, um, when you don't have to seek out that data yourself. 
Um, so we hope the service is um, yeah, providing some good work. And it was actually part of, back then, President Biden's um, Cancer Moonshot Initiative. Um, so he actually visited the center in 2016. Um, and there's, there's many pictures of him um, with our um, center lead, um, Bob Grossman, and then my boss, Senyu Zhang. So that's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. We're hoping, we're hoping he comes back. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, we'll see. Yeah, maybe after but election after season. After election season, he's busy. <laughs> he's busy a little bit, a little yeah. bit. Um, so you've mentioned earlier, you know, there's robots now doing the sequencing, right? Mm -hmm. And with all the information that you just, you know, shared. That is really exciting now to how um, AI can play a role. I mean, it's almost like, you know, a brilliant assistant. Yes. Yeah. And we are using like machine learning and AI mm -hmm. tools also. I mean, it's definitely, again, in the research area. Yeah. Um, I know they're trying to do that in, in a more um, corporate setting. And I think there's progress. Um, but again, if we can use that machine learning and, um, artificial intelligence to be able to understand cancer better, right. And to really pick out like the true mutations, then we can, we can do better downstream, right? Like, so if we, if we really use that to our advantage, we can, we can do a lot more. Um, and we can understand a lot more, a lot faster. Mm. So more drugs will be developed faster, more, um, there will be more options for people who get diagnosed with cancer. And I think the beauty of that is like, you don't have to have one person, humans are, are not built to do that kind of analysis. Yeah. We need computers. Um, and if we have those tools, I mean, we can do amazing things with it, so. Very cool. Mm -hmm. We'll rewrite the narrative. Yeah. You know, it's not so scary. It's not. You can use it to your advantage. You can use it. <laughs> well, like any tool, right? It just yeah. depends on the intent. Exactly. You know, exactly. So. Yeah. You have to use your powers for good. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I mean, you can talk about how we met, right? Yeah, uh, that's true. Mala, the Muslim American Leadership Alliance. So I was a, you know, found founder. And uh, we met because you're also working with AJC, American, you know, Jewish uh, Committee. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit more about AJC. Sure. Um, so AJC is the leading global Jewish advocacy um, organization. Mm -hmm. um, and we have three pillars. We have um, promoting Israel's place in the world, um, combating anti-Semitism, and promoting um, pluralism and democratic values. Um, and, you know, we've obviously seen an uptick in discrimination and hate over the past many years. And we try to form connections, whether it's intergroup, interfaith, international, mm -hmm. um, and, and create a space of dialogue and um, understanding and bridge building, right? So we're, we all are more common than we think and yeah. our differences are very small. And I think 
most of the world just wants to live together in harmony. Um, and meeting people like you and working together, I think really does make an impact and really shows everybody that yes, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, but mm -hmm. you can have yeah. a lot of really wonderful things happen when we band together. And it's important for groups uh, such as AJC and Mala to do that work because um, the media does not tend to focus as much on those you know stories i mean it's if, not as sexy yeah as it's the, not as, yeah you can't sensationalize drama and destruction oh, people are nice to each other oh, right. they just they're just people want to work together they're just foodies you know it's true yeah they're just hanging they're just hanging out you know so yeah i mean that was my passion of why i started mala is because i just saw an endless amplification of hate mm -hmm. and I was like, I mean, that's part of the experience, but I have a lot of great, you know, experiences. And also I grew up in Abu Dhabi yeah. in, the, in the Emirates and I grew up with uh, people from over 200 nationalities, you know. So my experience was really, you know, unique and really got to network with so many people and um, just realized that really there's just not many, you know, differences. And in the 80s and the 90s, you know, I mean, even now, but especially at that time, there was just wars all around us. You know, right. you got the Iran-Iraq war. I mean, you got apartheid in South Africa. Um, we went to an international school and we had kids from all these uh, c countries and everybody coexisted, you know, peacefully. Obviously, mm -hmm. as kids, there are gonna, there's going to be schoolyard fights. I mean, we're, right. we're, we're, we're boys, right? Of course. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we found a way to get along. And so when I came to Chicago... Over the years, I just, you know, noticed, wow, Chicago's really segregated and everybody's doing their own thing and culture is different in America. People are more individualistic, you know, come from a collective, you know, society. And I just couldn't find a Muslim organization that I felt that I belonged to. And I wanted one where I'm able to network with people that are like-minded. And so that was, that was, that was key. And chose storytelling and because um i just felt like once people got to know each other they're gonna look and see the human being you know not you know the stereotypes right There's exactly big focus on stereotypes and what the media you know portrays you know people as and so that was really awesome and i met um Barbara and Dale from AJC because we were doing a storytelling night at the uh, Chicago History uh, museum and that's cool. how the journey you know started and i've got to meet you know so many you know folks from your uh community well i feel like now i belong to the community because yes. <laughs> of so many you know ajc you know friends but what really struck me was the um invitation you know to synagogues and lakeview and shabbat dinners and so on and i was like wow it's really a great way to learn about the you know community and then i remember you know the prayers and i'm a native arab you know speaker uh, i speak arabic fluently and i'm like oh this just sounds very you know familiar and then you're like hmm, hebrew arabic aramaic i'm like oh 
language are cousins. So yep. yeah, it's <laughs> you know, true. And it's it's interesting, right? So with uh, Arabs, there is no Arab race. You know, it's uh, uh, people that are bond together through. Uh, tribes that speak the language you know these are the arab speaking you know tri arabic speaking you know uh tribes i was like oh interesting this is uh so if the language is our cousins what does you know that yeah. you know make us and i also was born in an interesting part of the world right in in east africa and there's like biblical you know uh stories of queen sheba and so on you know so from from you know from that from that uh, from that land you know so the more stories you know that you know we shared it's like oh my god we gotta you know find a way you know to do to do more to bring you know people together and it was really exciting to have um so many young people from the muslim you know community come and network and you know, meet folks such as yourself and AJC people. So I yeah. definitely look back Very fondly fun. on yeah. this. And we do too. I think um, even now, um, my my journey is similar to yours. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up, I'm a Moroccan Jew. So Jews come in all flavors. Yeah. Um, so there's... Nah, there's Jews all, are not a monolith. <laughs> Jews are not a monolith. Um, there are <laughs> black Jews, there are Asian Jews, there are... Moroccan Jews, there's Iranian Jews, you know, from all over. Sure. Um, so not everybody is the stereotypical Eastern European Jewish person. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my traditions are Moroccan. Mm. And um, I was I I was also looking for community and, and AJC was the community that I found most interesting because of that connection because of the interfaith intersectionality aspect, because I, I had the pleasure of with AJC going to Morocco for the first time. And my family hasn't been back since the eighties mm -hmm. and realizing that I was very much raised Moroccan. And a lot of my values come from that culture. Um, and you know, that close knit, very attached family life, which is not as common in America. Mm. And it's, it was amazing. It was like, wow, like I understood my grandmother more, but I also felt like a kinship and family. And again, it comes down to, again, we're all, we all have those, connections and and doing more of that together and bringing the things we have in common mm -hmm. to our places of origin or places that mean a lot to us so bringing tech to morocco yeah bringing more let's tech do, to the uae let's like, do it <laughs> let's do it yeah so um yeah i think i think we have a lot of of things in common and i think AJC also helped me form those connections at my workplace, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so it, it's very hard. And, and for a long time, I didn't out myself as Jewish in the workplace. I was already struggling because I'm usually the only woman in the room um, in a very male-dominated field. And, um, and then having the skills to have those conversations and really 
talk to each other and, you know, be a part of each other's cultures, inviting each other to our respective holidays and gatherings and Shabbat dinners. I mean, it's a great way to just form connections and really um, get to know people and understand the beauty of not only your own personal religion or culture, but everybody else's, right? Like it's, um, it's a really special thing to be a part of and I'm glad we met. Yeah. I'm glad we're friends. And absolutely. And, um, tech, tech in the middle East. So (laughs) I went back last year to Somaliland and also, uh, the UAE and, um, experiences were really interesting, right? So, there's a really high adoption of technology in the UAE. Um, actually, when I was growing up there, um, we always got the latest technology for everyone, you know, else just because they would uh, test. They tested in a market that was interested in premium, you know, products, you know. So it was good for research, and it's also they knew they were gonna sell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went there, I've been gone for about. 22 years. So a lot has happened, you know, kept in touch through Google Earth, (laughs) you know, but um, nothing prepared me for like just seeing the change that the UAE uh, went through. And it was beautiful to experience, experience that and go to the museum of the future. I was just um, an incredible uh, ex, ex, experience, you know, Burj, Burj Khalifa, yeah. all of that. But then also realizing that the old Dubai was still there. Um, the old souk was still there, you know. So that was that, that was uh, really heartwarming because I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I don't want to feel like my entire childhood was wiped out. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I didn't grow up in um, Dubai, I grew up in, you know, Abu Dhabi, but my grandmother is Emirati uh, from uh, Dubai. So we'd visit her a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and Dubai was not as developed as Abu Dhabi, but there were still things to do. And because it's so hot, everything is centered around malls and mall life, right? Uh, because you got to be that air conditioning, <laughs> air conditioning space, you know, so being in that mall um in dubai and you know seeing that um indoor you know almost like ski resort that brought back you know some memories too because when i was in high school i was i had a summer job and i was working for a company that was doing research on that and they didn't give us any details and i was always curious i'm like why is there all this interest in a, a ski resort i'm like okay I'll try to figure something out. You know, it's not like I'd Google at the time or I'd chat GPT or anything. It was just basic HTML. And, you know, I guess the uh, search engine at the time was Yahoo. Oh, yeah. yeah. So going going way way back, back, you know. So I was like, aha, this was the project, you know, so. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. It is. It is really cool. And I could be completely off, but. I'm, I have a hunch because there's just did not make any sense. I'm like, why are we doing this work? He's like, don't worry about it. Just do, you know, this work. No. Yeah. So, but um, going back there and then now seeing like the um, investments that is being made in the future of work, you know, the 
um, embracing uh, they embraced uh, crypto, um, metaverse, you know, just uh, always big on uh, sust sustainability. So when I left Mala, I just decided, you know what, let me just take a break and check things out over there and reconnect with family and uh, friends. And um, upon my return, I said, okay, well, I got to... I got to start my tech company, you know, now, because there's a lot, you know, that I can do because there's, yeah. there's a gap, right? Right. So when I went to, you know, Africa, to East, East Africa, um, people are tech savvy, you know, to a point, but you can tell like the technology, you know, that the technology, I mean, just the broadband technology that we have here and compare it, you know, to certain places in Africa, it's not, Yeah. it's not even, it's not even close, but the rate of adoption for any new technology is really high. And one platform that really showcased that was um, uh, Facebook. Oh, interesting. And it really surprised me the amount of people that do business on WhatsApp. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So people, uh, WhatsApp is is your all in one store. You have, you can do your e you can do your e commerce, customer service. Um, order orders order stuff and be uh, delivered you know to you um and now they have a customer server customer service bots through you know whatsapp oh wow so and it's interesting because at that time the news in the media is oh facebook is you know going down and you know uh he's made you know bets in the metaverse and this does not make any sense i'm just sitting there going <laughs> You said that about, you know, cloud solutions. You didn't know what a cloud right. was. Yeah. So I was like, let me let me investigate. And these emerging markets are just embracing these Web 2.0, yeah. you know, technologies, you know, so fast. And, and now that we have all these Web 3.0 technologies with, you know, uh, AI and crypto and so on, I'm really excited about um how fast africa is going to catch up mm -hmm. right and yeah. so if i can help in any way and also in on the you know uh medical you know uh side that would be that would be you know incredible so definitely cool. looking to you yeah. know uh collaborate and despite people listening you know to this podcast this could be our recruitment right <laughs> that's great i mean video call call a uh, call to you know arms to you know yeah that would be great and honestly like we when i was in morocco we met with um the policy forum for the new south and i'm pretty sure i got the name wrong right. um but can always have, put it in the I comments <laughs> but they're doing incredible work and it's it's all of these people who want to make Africa more sustainable and bring it to the, you know, the more technology savvy mm -hmm. um, and incorporate ag tech, climate tech, all of that into daily life and, and how to do that. And they're doing the research on it. And then, you know, there are entities like people like us and people um, around the world where you can just partner in, especially in the region, um, that you can kind of have people from, again, all over different backgrounds come together and create these like really cool things that allow you to like 
use the technology to your advantage. Um, and it's, again, it's a very cool way to use our skills for good. No, and, abs abs yeah. absolutely. Um, one example I could give you is uh, during uh, COVID, mm -hmm. I uh, helped a friend start a foundation uh, called the Fashion Community uh, Foundation. And then uh, because uh, COVID was happening, he wasn't able to do, you know, programs. So some of the things he wanted to do was uh, teach kids about, you know, fashion photography and teach them how to work a camera or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, how to draw, you know, uh, dresses or, you know, whatever it is, you know, because with fashion, there's so many, you know, things, you know, that you can do. And he um, just didn't feel like he could really do that on Zoom. So um, reconnected, you know, with a relative of mine and she just started her own makeup um, cosmetics uh, business called Mona Beauty. And Mona at the time was uh, partnering with a university in uh, Somaliland where I'm from. And uh, she created a makeup certificate uh, program. It's uh, British accredited. So I just put two and two together and I was like, why don't we start a scholarship? That's cool. And uh, we did. So from ideation to execution and so basically the graduation of the girls, all that happened in 90 days. Wow. And it was really, inc um, inc uh, inc really incredible. Cool. Yeah. So and we we're able to teach the girls about um, business, you know, skills. We had a a dermatologist uh, doctor who taught um, you know the girls and the women about skincare you know so it was really powerful so I would say since 2020 we've graduated over 200 wow yeah that's amazing and, and the stories are just incredible um, I was only there for a week last mm -hmm. year so I was unable to meet you know um, many many of the young ladies that graduated from the program but i met one and the impact of such a small scholarship was just amazing and she ended up opening up her own salon wow and then cool. she got a job with the mayor she's working on programs for women wow advocating right. on behalf of women i was just like oh my that's God. amazing gonna cry like a little know, kid now right? when I cry yeah it's so moving I mean and again you just like one one decision from, from your couch yeah in, and I think that's kind of where the world is headed right yeah. like COVID really shook everybody sure um and a lot of people lost their jobs or were mm -hmm. unemployed and yeah it got me thinking right I was very fortunate and able to work from anywhere that has Wi-Fi. Um, so I was able to work from my couch and it got me thinking about those tools, like you were saying, like how can you do all of this from the comfort of your own home um, and make it accessible for everybody? And like co these coding seminars, makeup seminars, whatever, you can develop all of this stuff for kids, and I say kids, but like coding really needs to start early now. Early, right? Yeah, we're absolutely. not. I mean, we're not in two thousand four anymore. But you know, when 
when you say coding, right? When we say coding, um, it gives us it gives it a connotation where it's like, oh, that's something that a prof- someone who's in professional services, you know, does. It's applied mathematics, right? It's yeah. It's just it's more advanced version of math and math. Yeah. yeah, and it's honestly, and it's a language, right? It's a like, language, yeah. If you can learn how to speak a language, you can learn how to code. And there are a lot of languages that are very easy to pick up. And again, it gives you that skill set that just yeah. kind of pushes you. For sure. I mean, what is ChatGPT? Exactly. It's an LLM. Mm-hmm. What's an LLM? Large language model. Yeah. And I speak 16 dialects in Arabic. Does that make <laughs> me an LLM? <laughs> I think so. I yeah. think it might. <laughs> yeah, you should see my friends always uh, asking me to translate when we're out. Oh, that's funny. It's absolutely absolutely uh hilarious and i'm like oh ask google and I'm like, no google's not perfect you yeah. you tell us because you can tell us in a story format and i'm like ah maybe i should uh start another business right. and do a children's book that would be cool <laughs> yeah in a hundred different dialects a hundred <laughs> different dialects there you go yeah. yeah i mean i have uh sean michael warren you know yes. so he can illustrate, can illustrate. <laughs> so yeah. boom yeah. done see this is why i love doing the podcast because Every time, you know, the new podcast, ideas, yeah. new ideas, new opportunities, and you know it's organic, mm-hmm. right? And um, I was uh, in a meeting yesterday with an organization that does workforce uh, development uh, for refugees, and they're looking at starting a podcast, and they want me, you know, to advise them. And one of the things that uh, my friend uh, Narman. Um, and I told him, it's like, you gotta just think of it as you're building a media company. So if you look at it, um, that way, then you're going to understand that it's going to take a lot of work, Yeah, you know, cause there's, and, and think of it as a brand, you know, and, and so do all that hard work before you even start, you know, uh, rec- recording. Right. You know, and who are you targeting who are, and develop different personas and, you know, all of that, you know, so that that was really cool because um, I never thought that I would be uh, giving tips on, you know, uh, podcasting, mm. you know, but that's cool. I guess some of it was uh, the lessons, you know, from doing all those uh, recordings and yeah. Mala, but then also uh, working with, uh, you know, these guys from the Chicago podcasting. They know what's up, you know, just, yeah. make, just make things easy and, you know, you just professionals and I just come in and do my, uh, do my thing. And I know what I'm, you know, gonna, uh, uh, gonna, uh, gonna get, but a lot of that hard work was done, you know, in the beginning, you know, to make sure that, um, the expectations, you know, were set and you're on set. You just have a, uh, have a good time, you know? So yeah. my advice was like, do the boring stuff, hard stuff, you know, first, and then yeah. later, later on, things are just, fun. yeah, just, yeah. just keep it, uh, keep it, you know, f- uh, f- uh, fun. Um, we talked obviously a lot about um, tech and science and medicine. And, uh, we're living in an interesting age, right? Because of TikTok and kids wanting to be, you know, TikTok influencers and YouTube, you know, influencers. How do we how do we get them excited about STEM? That's actually a really good question. Yeah. Um, and and again, during COVID, a lot of things um, were 
really clear to me um, that one, um, there was a lot of fear when it came to science and technology, right? Because most people's basic science understanding is high school, freshman year of high school. And even then, you know, mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> how does that apply to my life? Sure. Um, and, and I see it in medicine. I see it in, in science and being able to convey the importance and, and the good that's out there is hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and so also something that I was looking into is like how to make science fun for kids, right? Like why is, why is this cool? So I, when I was working in the lab, um, we'd have high school kids come through and DNA is a polymer. So it's like, it's many bits of the same thing repeated over and over again. Mm-hmm. And sounds like a metaphor for life. Yes. And <laughs> it is, it is the building block of building life. Block. <laughs> and, and what I find truly inspiring about DNA, it's my favorite molecule. Like I have a necklace that's an adenine, which is a base pair or one of the bases of DNA. It's, it's a cool. pro- my my lamps in my house are like DNA helices. <laughs> um, you're talking to a real nerd. It's <laughs> all right. And this is uh, why the podcast was born. <laughs> Symbol exactly. of the nerds. Exactly. Um, so, what's cool is you can start out in your house. Anything in your house can be something that you can extract DNA from. You can extract your own cheek cell DNA from the comfort of your own home using household products. And it's cool. And you can do that with kids, right? Like you can say like, okay. And then, and then you can kind of build, what is this? And, and do it together as a family, right? Like you can do that with even nieces, nephews, whoever, anybody in your house. And even my grandma, who's Mm -hmm. not a young woman was like, this is cool. Like you can do it from strawberries. You can do it, any fruit or vegetable that's your favorite. You can, you can do this. And and again, and then you, you get more curious, right? Like it builds that curiosity and, and to make, to make things more fun, to make it more interactive, right? Like science should not be boring. It should mm-hmm. be a playground. Um, and that's something that I was taught very early on is like, this is something that should be like the sky's the limit. It piques curiosity. It's like, okay, we have this thing. How do we understand it? How, what don't we know about it? What can we learn from it? If I mess things up in, in this DNA, what happens? Um, and then how do you analyze it? Right. And that's where the bench science and the computers come in. Mm -hmm. So you can do your experiments, whether it's, you know, mucking up a gene and then you can sequence that and say, okay, what happened? You can look at that in a cell and like the actual physical interactions of the cell. And then you can also look at on a molecular level through your computer tools, what changed on the global scale. And um, my hope is scientists. And I think, again, my AJC experience Mm -hmm. really helped me to be able to convey what I do for a living and what science, like what cool things are happening in, in the med tech world to 
non-scientists, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think um, we have to we have to do better at making this a little bit more interesting yeah. and and make TikTok videos about how cool like mm-hmm. science is and yeah. like what's going on. Like it when I was in, I mean, like people were doing like weird funny <laughs> things like they would do parody videos mm. about their lab using like a lady gaga soundtrack that's funny and it was great it was hysterical it was like oh yeah science is fun like mm-hmm. you can you get dry ice when you get something shipped do something cool put some like dish soap mm-hmm. and a little water with some dry ice in your kitchen sink and you'll have bubbles with like the little like the smoke in it and you can pop it again that's science it's fun you can interact with it and yeah it shouldn't be this boring lame-o thing i i i I, I agree and um i was always um, interested in my uh, science classes when i was in the lab Mm. but when i had to read a book "Ah, yeah that's so not so much yeah. Yeah. So I think it'd be interesting if uh, video games, you know, can mm-hmm. play. I mean, they have well. those mm-hmm. things now. Like they have things for kids um, for like coding and and yeah. some science things where it's a video game, but you're actually learning basic coding skills. Basic. Yeah, that's right. And you know, I just bought a friend of mine, uh, her daughter, a coding robot, and like it's this robot that she can program what it can do based on the tile she lays out and it's a hundred percent what I learned in college and like my first coding class. I was like, this is cool. Where was this when I was in school? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, I think we need to you know, re-examine education mm. um, and how we educate um, because people want to be entertained and quickly and science takes time to learn. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, you got to make a fun series about, you know, what happens in a cell and how does that apply to you, right? Maybe it's your next. Uh, <laughs> it's my next venture. <laughs> YouTube channel. I could. I think that's a really cool idea. Um, yeah, I wanted, I was, I, and again, COVID kind of sparked all of this mm-hmm. where I was like, vaccination became scary and like understanding mm-hmm. vaccines became scary. Oh, and you like, mean Bill Gates didn't put a chip in me? Right. Like I can speak fluent Russian now. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and God. you know, uh, what is this foreign thing you're putting into your body? Yes. And it's like, you know, we, we put a lot of things into our bodies and on our bodies all the time and we don't even think about it. And, but I don't want to be a part of the matrix. Right. And then I also think personally and not to politicize things, but Mm -hmm. when it comes down to public health, it should be the healthcare professionals running the show. Oh, you mean my YouTube, uh, degree, right. Does not matter. Nope. And like, and when it comes down to, and I hate to be this person, but when it comes down to science and health, opinions don't matter right like the facts matter and being able to live matters and when it when people get clouded by the noise we all suffer we all suffer yeah i mean it was a brutal time because people just 
copy and paste on Facebook yep. and re really don't even um, have an argument. Right. Um, the statement would be, I'm just going to leave this here. Yeah. And it's whoever that's wants like to you put things that's out. That's like yeah. you drop the time bomb. Right. It's like screaming fire into yeah. in a public area. Like yeah. that's, you can't do that. You that's illegal. That. Right? Yeah, like, you can't do that. But then it's also, I think with COVID, I think it came off of the time where there was a lot of fear with vaccines mm -hmm. and autism. That's right. And so you come off of one set of fears into yeah. another. And again, COVID a was measles, a whole, measles outbreak. Right. And like kids that. are getting measles and yeah. kids are getting, you know, like these, you know, medieval diseases because they were eradicated. Right. And, you know, Jonas Salk is rolling in his grave. Mm. <laughs> it's like mm. polio's back, right? Like how? And, and again, I think it comes down to really conveying a sense of, trust in the population mm -hmm. about what's going on. And I think we have an, another set of problems and I guess it's, it's, it's not a simple thing, right? We, we have pharma companies that benefit off of sick people. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a catch 22. Oh, How do you the Purdue pharma? Oh man. Oh man, and you! I cried. What I evil? Cried. What evil was that? The whole time it was horrendous, and like the the number of people that perished because yeah. of that whole thing was it was unnecessary. And and again, I think those things inspire fear, mm -hmm. and we have to know about it, right? Like I'm not saying, you know, cover it up. I'm saying we have a responsibility to inform our gen population on what's good for them. And it has to be coming from an unbiased entity. So it can't be from your pharma commercial. Mm -hmm. It can't be from your doctor's office that's associated with a gigantic medical institution that partners with this other gigantic thing. It has to be from like the science community at large that we're not tied to these. I'm not, I'm not bought and paid for. Yeah. I'm me. Peer reviewed. Pe right. Like, and, and again, like we, things happen, right? Like everybody's human and, yeah. but I think we need, we really need to help more than hurt. Um, I think that's a uh, community also responded, you know, the I've seen my doctor friends yeah. get more active on, yeah. you know, social media exactly. to combat and misinf like, misinformation. But before they're like, oh, I'm not a social media person. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, using it. And for me, it's, it's a tool, mm -hmm. you know, you can use it for negative purposes or uh, to spread positivity. You know, I created Mala on uh, Facebook ran Mala for a whole year oh, wow. on, 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 on Facebook, you know, did a lot of good work, you know, with Facebook. Um, they, um, you know, became a client. It's, it's, at some, at some point, you know, so, but it's because I have that background. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that, Hey, this is a tool that's an ampl amplification, you know, uh, tool yeah. it's built to, it's built to build networks. Mm -hmm. But how do you get past, I guess this is where I um, 
get bogged down, mm -hmm. I think, and, and discouraged is the algorithms, right? Like your TikTok algorithm, your yeah. Instagram algorithm, it's based on the things that you watch, right? Like it's, again, it's a machine sure, learning sure, sure. tool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so if you're scrolling past or you don't want to see it, then you're not going to. Right. And so like, how do you break through to reach everyone? And that's, that's where I'm like, I don't know, is it like yeah. public television, you know, like PBS? you know, Sesame Street, like, I mean, I feel like that's kind of where you start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can still, you can, you can, um, you know, still d do that, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was interesting, uh, in their protest movements where it was just started by uh, makeup artists. Yeah. And you see a makeup tutorial and then you go, oh, it's just another uh, makeup uh, video. But then you click on the comments and you go, wow, there's a spirited debate happening here. <laughs> you know, so That's on true. the surface, it might look like, oh, no, nah, this is shallow. But then mm -hmm. it's just just a new generation's way, you know, of, you know, communicating. And then the older generation trying to figure out, OK, um, how does this work? Does this make any sense? You know, I'm more worried about my parents than, you know, <laughs> younger yeah. people because during COVID, I had to take my mom's WhatsApp and say, mm, yeah, <laughs> so much misinformation yeah. <laughs> being delivered yeah. through WhatsApp, but it's not delivered by Facebook. It's delivered by human beings that are using, you know, yeah. uh, what's WhatsApp, right? So if I pick up the phone and call people around town and give them misinformation, that's yeah. me using the phone. It's the same thing with, right? you know, WhatsApp. Facebook is a corporation is not publishing. And, you know, I don't work for Facebook and I don't, and they're not a client, you know, right now. But that could be said about LinkedIn or any other, um, you know, t t a tool, you know. Right. So, but because it became such a big problem, you know, they had to hire so many, you know, moderators and, you know, and but it's but it's tough because it's a global, you know, platform. So um, what I uh, decided to do is to try to educate, you know, people on best practices okay. for for Facebook and for these, um, you know, uh, tools and also, you know, uh, parents. Right. And believe it or not, a lot of misinformation were being delivered by parents. Yep. I'm like, no, you're the, yeah, you're the adult. Yeah. And I think, I think your brain gets clouded mm -hmm. because once you have a kid, all you want to do is keep them safe. It's irrational, yep. right? Like your logical brain leaves because like this thing, this person, is the most important thing in the whole world and like logic be gone. Right, right, right. And so right. when, and again, when it comes down to like the vaccines, rational, scientific parents got scared mm. because your brain is like, no, I know this is fine. But then there's this baby in front of you. You're like, what if something happens? And again, all logic disappears. Yeah. So again, it's like, it's hard. I get it. I am like. I have to speak to a neurologist about that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or a psychologist. Right. Like, no. So yeah, I think it's, I, 
yeah, there's a lot of things that we could do in terms of getting people interested. And even like the older generation, like they're also, you know, nervous about technology, right? Like how, have you ever tried to help your parents like do something technological? Oh yeah. I mean, they were totally <laughs> nervous about technology before COVID. Yeah. After COVID happened, it's like, oh yeah, set up my Zoom. I'm like, excuse me? Mm -hmm. Since when do you right? use Zoom? Yep. Like scrolling on Instagram, yep. you're like six year old. <laughs> you're like, okay. It's, uh, it's incredible. I yeah. mean, uh, what a crisis, you know, uh, can do, but I mean, it's almost like just you're kind of pushed into it. You have to push yeah, into the, into the future. Yeah. You know, look, um, I think it's good. Bit. I think, I think humans are it's a net positive. Yes. I think humans are more adaptable than, yeah. than we give ourselves credit for. And we're scared of change. I mean, but we eventually figure it but out. We'll figure it out. And like, yeah. like I was saying earlier, you know, the AI stuff seems scary now, mm -hmm. but I think if we use it, in the right way, it will benefit society more than hurt. So, yeah, ab yeah. Abs absolutely. So, uh, my last question is, um, you are, I mean, I should have referred to you as Dr. Lauren. Oh, yeah. Thank Google. you. Yes. And you have a PhD. <laughs> I do. Um, lots of hard work. What advice, um, do you have for, you know, young people that, are, um, might have an interest in science and might want to become scientists? Um, that's a, that's a good question. Um, take your time. Don't be in a rush. Get excited about it. Learn about it. Um, I think my advice to my younger self would be enjoy that part of life. Enjoy the exploration. Enjoy learning science for fun when you're in school, when you don't need a job to like pay your bills, <laughs> right? Like, you know, college is, is meant for that exploration. So, you know, it, whether it's neuroscience or psychology or biology or, you know, genomics, whatever, explore, have fun with it and, and really, really get to know it. I think that's, the part that I would always tell myself is, and, and listen to your gut, right? Like there, and, and again, mentorship is also most important. And I got very lucky throughout my life, um, that I have had really incredible mentors and really incredible bosses, um, that allowed me to explore and be curious and, um, launched me into the field that I want and, you know, find those people. Um, they exist and they will help. And also, you know, the people in your lab or the people in your major, they will become your resources and your friends forever and your family. And don't take that for granted because it's hard. It's hard to keep in touch. But yeah, I think it's a process. The whole going from figuring out you want to pursue science to, you know, a career in it. It's a long process. And like I said, the science world is extremely small. Mm -hmm. 
um, and building those connections and having that integrity and having that curiosity will only build more community and, and foster good science. And like, you know, yeah, everybody knows everybody. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, it's very cool um, to see how you're connected to the people around you. Um, whether it's here in Chicago or, you know, all over the world, it's everybody, um, in the science world. Um, we're all, we're all wanting everybody to succeed. And so, um, and, and again, if anybody has anybody listening wants to reach out, um, you know, internships are huge. There's like, um, summer research programs for college students that are like paid for. There's a lot of amazing opportunities that you can find to build that. And then if you're also interested in like bioinformatics, Coursera, right? Like you have, you have, again, things at your fingertips, YouTube, um, the GDC, which is the, um, genomic data commons that we work for, we have a webinar. So you can learn about the organization and also the data that we have much more in depth. And then you can also use the portal to explore. Um, so again, there's, there's a thousand resources out there. And, um, when you're young, you have time. Oh, for sure. And you have time to explore it. And I think that that's the part that I miss. It's just like having that time to just explore and a, do all that fun stuff. It's a, it's a journey. It is. So, um, you know, what's interesting is you mentioned Coursera. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a point um, that I was thinking of getting my uh, master's and I developed a strategy where I would travel to different universities just to check them out and go on a Thursday and sit in for a class and then hang out with these students, you know, so it was part. That's cool. You know, yeah, it was fun. It's part, <laughs> you know, vacation, part research, you know, and I had a good, I had a, I had a good time. Mm-hmm. And when I was at uh, Stanford, I stayed there for maybe a week or maybe longer because a friend of mine was going to medical school. He went to Loyola, uh, Loyola actually, oh, played cool. soccer at Loyola, but he was um, studying to be an orthopedic surgeon. He's an orthopedic surgeon right now. Nice. And also owns a you know tech startup, which is really uh, cool. Um, I got to introduce you to him. So yeah. definitely cool. uh, keep a note of that. His name is uh, Dr. Malcolm. And when we were there, um, just being there in Stanford, it's a completely different experience. And I saw the iPad for the first time and they were the first class to receive, you know, the iPad. Um, they were fresh, freshmen, you know, uh, students uh, from medical school. But then also while I was there, I was, you know, sitting in different classes, you know, they had all these VCs that would come and, you know, teach and, uh, they'll play, uh, different roles like Android, uh, versus iOS and so on. I mean, this is early, mm-hmm. um, days. And then I heard about, you know, prof- I believe it was two professors that were starting Coursera. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was on the ground and it was only offered to uh, Stanford students. And it was one class and it was called Startup Engineering. And I got in and I called uh, my good friend, uh, Al, who's an incredible software you know, engineer. And I gave him the link and I was like, hey, I somehow got in without a Stanford uh, email. You should do it too. And it was amazing. I mean, it. I haven't, you know, because I worked in IT early on in college. I was a computer science major. And then I went um, and did accounting and finance, worked in investment banking, did, you know, uh, consulting, uh, marketing. Uh, and then so... I was always, uh, you know, in touch with everything that was new in IT, but with um, cloud solutions and AWS and, you know, GitHub, that's when I learned about all of that was oh, through wow. that one class. And so it was like an entire computer science major in one class. Yeah. And what they did was they taught you how to build a Bitcoin website from scratch. Wow. Yeah. That's in crazy. Incre incredible. So, That's cool. yeah, I got to I got to email uh, those two professors yeah. um, who started Coursera because it really changed my life. Then then I decided I'm not going to go get my master's because I would rather take classes on Coursera every year and develop my own master's mm -hmm. in a program. So right now I am completing uh, a certificate. Uh, a, a program. It's a specialized uh, certificate from IBM on applied, you know, intelligence. You know, because cool. I was like, ah, why not? Why yeah. not? learn Python? You know, exactly. learn a bit, build my own, you know, bots. You know, in in case somebody, you know, might need it. And guess what? You know, we built a bot for one of our clients who is a non for profit. Cool. And so the bot the bot you know uh answers you know questions and just makes his life you know easier and gets you to donate you know faster yeah right so coursera is just a powerful powerful uh, t uh tool but there's udemy and all these other like um e-learning you know platforms so what i always tell young people is like i'm really f worry about, you know, what you're passionate about or what uh, you're going to be doing in, in the future. Focus on just acquiring as many skills as possible. Because yep. if you can create, you know, value, you're always going to have a, you're always going to find work because you're generating value. And the skills are transferable. Exactly. Right? Like, you know, who knows what will happen in the future. But if you have any sort of analytical we know there's you more can... robots coming exactly and when they break down you know i mean i give the example yeah. of the uh, grocery you know checkout mm -hmm. and you know mariano's and it's not mean like there's nobody right. working at mariano's anymore just because they have those uh kiosks and exactly. and if something if something happens you know you get uh, someone that's trained to like override it yeah right? and we're gonna always need people mm -hmm. um but yeah, having skills, I think you're right, is really important and, and a whole slew of them, right? Like you can't, not just one set, get all the skills you can acquire exactly, and talk to people. I think that that's something that I learned um, later in life. I was very shy yeah. as a kid. Um, and um, I was actually put in performing arts mm -hmm. to, you know, 
lose that yeah. that shy, like very quiet, stay in the background type of personality. So I kind of straddle that line, the scientist that likes to be, you know, clicking away and and doing experiments on a computer, but also having that person-to-person interaction that's so hugely important. Um, so yeah, I think that like this is. Yeah, you gotta find that balance yeah. between left brain, right brain. Like, yeah. Right? Awesome, well, yeah. we'll leave it there. Okay. I mean, we could, we could be talking we for talk hours, forever. but uh, <laughs> you know, we have uh, our planning for our, our Africa. That's right. You know, uh, summit, we'll just, you know, we'll also so. have to travel there. So. Exactly. People will find out more when they um, join us for season three. Wow. Ooh. We're already talking about season yeah. three. Where, where does time go? But well, Dr. Lauren, thank, thank you so you. much for uh, being here on the show and really uh, sharing your story, your journey, um, your wisdom and looking forward, you know, to obviously continuing our, you know, friendship and all the exciting, you know, things we're going to be doing together for betterment of humanity. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. This was really special and my first podcast. So what? Thank you. Oh, this is great. I should have brought cake. (laughs) 